Today's reading is from John chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered round him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stopped, stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we ask that as we look at the Bible together, as we look at this incident from the life of Jesus, that you would be helping us to know you, our God, to know your Son, to know his salvation, and to be changed by this wonderful truth of your grace and goodness. Please, Lord, would we respond to you this morning, each of us. Would we know you and become uh, the people that you want us to be, that you are directing us to be? And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So right through this summer, this series, we're asking the question of what do we love about Jesus? What do we, uh, as a congregation, what do we as individuals love about Jesus? And where are the stories, where are the stories in in the Bible, in the Gospels, that we would go to to just share with somebody what we love about Jesus? And this is one of them. This is a story that really quickly comes to mind. Uh, If you ask that question, I think, those of us who know it, Uh, And so we need to just spend a little bit of uh, time just commenting on um, what you'll have seen if you looked up the passage, which is that it's a story which doesn't appear in the early manuscripts of John's Gospel. You'll uh, see if you look at uh, just above the the section that was read, um, uh, when it does start to show up, it shows up at a couple of other places in John as well and a couple of places in Luke. So when this story is in the manuscripts, it moves around. But what this also tells us is that the story of Jesus' encounter with this woman caught in the act of adultery keeps on being told. And as someone copies out an old manuscript of John's Gospel or an old manuscript of Luke's Gospel because it's wearing out, so they need a new piece of papyrus, they started to include this story. So it's unlikely if you study John's Gospel and you're looking for structure that John originally wrote this as part of his Gospel to go here. But it's very likely that it was written down somewhere else by someone else or it was told and retold by one person to another until eventually the account of what happened on this day 
this unforgettable day, found a home, if you like, here in the middle of John's Gospel. And if that's how it came to be here, as I think it may well have been, um, it fits really well with what we do know that John wrote in his Gospel about Jesus. In particular, what he said about Jesus' mission in the world uh, on the front of the service sheet, you may have noticed, as we always give a, a Bible verse as a sort of theme verse before we start the service. And we put there John chapter 3, verse 17. God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. What do we love about Jesus? What are we focusing on this morning? His wonderful grace, the way that as he meets this woman, he cuts through all the hypocrisy and restores her. Someone that everyone else has written off is restored back to a right relationship with God. So let's focus on the story. As I say, either the service sheet, if you find the font slightly bigger, or in the, uh, in the Bibles in that sort of uh, footnote font. Let's focus on the story. This scene of high drama. Jesus, origi- uh, Jesus' religious opponents try and trap him to saying something they can use against him. And it's a classic conflict. We've got uh, the moralists in the blue corner and we've got the progressive in the red corner. Although, in this contest, there's a surprise. Which corner would you expect Jesus to be in? The moralist corner or the progressive? I think many people would expect Jesus to be on the side of the moralist, wouldn't he? Standing up for old-fashioned values. Whereas, in fact, we find it's not Jesus, but it's his opponents that are on their moral high horses. Now, don't hear me wrongly, I'm not saying that Jesus is soft on moral issues. If you read more of the Bible, more of John's Gospel, you see his blazing purity, you see him challenge people who need to be challenged. But when he does that, his approach is not the finger-wagging moraliser. We see in the way that he talks to this woman, we see as well as his purity, as well as the fact he doesn't condone what she's doing, we see a compassion for her as a person that moves her back to a right relationship with God. His opponents, on the other hand, they aren't interested in her at all. They don't care about her as a person. She's just a pawn in their plans. And it's been pointed out before, if you've thought about this, but it is a bit odd, isn't it? that there's only one person that's brought to Jesus. I mean, I'm assuming if you catch someone in the act of adultery, however you might do that, there's more than one person, isn't there, usually? Is, is that right? Any biologists in the, in the room or mathematicians? Yeah? And yet, whoever the bloke was, they just haul this poor woman before Jesus incredibly vulnerable, condemned in their eyes. And they know Jesus' reputation for compassion. So they ask him, the law of Moses says, Stoner, what do you say? And that's the trap set, isn't it? If Jesus says, no, you mustn't stone her, well, he's contradicting the Bible. He's saying he knows better than God which, by the way, is what this word sin is about. You see it here. 
it's not, it's not here or elsewhere in the Bible that somehow sin is sex or sex is sin. No, it's not that. It's nothing to do with apples or things that are naughty but nice. Sin is an attitude. It's, it's saying, I know best in my life, better than anyone else, including God. I trust what I feel is right, not what God says is right. That's sin. It's that attitude. It's in all of us. It's all around us in the world we live in. And if God is our maker, the one who gives us everything we have, every breath we breathe, can, you, can we feel how wrong it is to say to God, Listen, I'm going to go with what I feel rather than what you say. Um, I don't really ultimately trust you that you know what's best for me. Can, can we feel how wrong that is? That's sin. And it's the door through which all kinds of evil comes into our lives and into the world. We push God away and we crash into each other as we all try and get our own way. And everyone does it, except for one person, Jesus Christ. Peter, his uh, best friend, arguably, over the three years of his ministry, he was constantly in Jesus' company. He saw Jesus under incredible pressure and he said of him, he committed no sin. And no deceit was, was found in his mouth. Peter says after three years with Jesus, his words didn't even let him down, like mine often do. Jesus was totally and utterly good. And that's the background of the trap that they set for him. They knew Jesus wasn't going to contradict the Bible. They knew he wasn't going to sin by saying he knew better than God. But if they could just get him to say, yeah, all right then, the law says so, we need to stone her. Then they could report him. He'd lose favour with the crowds and they could report him to the Roman authorities because he was taking the law into his own hands and have him arrested on the spot. So as the moralists line up against Jesus, these religious leaders, it's a very intense moment, not least for the poor man in the middle. And Jesus' response is to uh, bend down and start writing in the dust with his finger. And so I don't know whether you can do that in your imagination, just seeing the scene. You've got these sort of angry religious leaders who think, aha, we're going to get Jesus here, we're going to trick him, we're going to trap him. You've got this distraught woman who's having the worst day of her life, probably. And you've got Jesus just writing in the ground. All the time, the tension building, them demanding an answer. He stood up again and I imagine he looked them in the eye and looked into their hearts and said, okay, let the one who's um, never sinned cast the first stone. And then he stooped down and started to write in the dust again. And one by one, they got off their moral high horses and slipped away into the crowd. And do you notice verse 9, the detail there? The eldest left first. Those who knew themselves better 
those who knew most acutely that sin is in their own hearts too and how the years of religious ritual hadn't taken it away. So what was Jesus writing? Well, it doesn't say, does it? It's not recorded what he was writing. He could have just been doodling and creating a dramatic pause. He might have been writing something, though, that to help these religious people realise their true situation before God. Uh, do you remember when Jesus um, was asked, you know, what's the most important commandment? He summarised God's ground rules for living. He said, the first and greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is like it, namely this, love your neighbour as yourself. He may have been writing something like that, it's possible, or writing out the Bible references for it. Can you see how that would show up our sin in our hearts? God calls us to love him with all of everything and we often love him with all of nothing. God calls us to love our neighbours as ourselves and yet, well, we're not very good at that, are we? We don't relate to each other rightly, let alone relating to God. See, none of us on our own can stand before God's blazing purity. But the wonderful thing about Jesus, about the Gospel, is that we don't need to stand before God on our own. And that's what this woman discovered on this day when um, she was left standing there before the one person who hadn't sinned in that whole crowd. It's just her and Jesus at the end of this encounter. He had the, he had the right to condemn her. He could have picked up a stone and started throwing it at her. But he didn't. He says, neither do I condemn you. And we've already looked at chapter 3, verse 17. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He could have done. That's the whole point of that. But he didn't. Instead, God sent his son to save the world through him. And that's what we see here in the heart of Jesus. That when the human race, when you and I turn from God, we go our own way, we don't want him too close God comes in Jesus on a rescue mission. And it's a mind-blowingly costly rescue mission. This woman deserved to be condemned for her sin. Sin deserves hell. Jesus was condemned instead of her and of you and of me. He went through hell when he died on the cross. And so it is that this picture, this, this true, I believe, true story, it's not just a parable, it's a, it's a true encounter between this woman and Jesus. It is a picture of, uh, of meeting a holy God and not being condemned because God in his graciousness and kindness uh, wants us to come back. But notice too how it ends. Notice that if we come back in the way that Jesus is inviting, it's not just come back and sort of muddle through. It's come back and be changed, isn't it? It's, it's go and sin no more or go and leave your life of sin, depending on which translation you go for. That's the response, that God in his kindness brings us to himself and then turns us back to him 
and says, turn away from sin and all you know to be wrong. Go and sin no more. The old word for that is repent. Yeah, repent. Uh, do a U-turn as, as if you were kind of, you're on your way to um, uh, Westfield and you suddenly think, oh no, I need to go to Sainsbury's to get something first. So you've got to do a U-turn and, um, and go a different direction to go to uh, the other place. And so it is in life that we, uh, the sin is saying, I'm going to trust what I feel and repentance Go and sin no more is say, okay, God, I'm going to come back to you. I want to be your person again. And the other side of that coin of, of repenting, of, of, of go and sin no more, is, is, is trusting, it's believing, isn't it? It's, it's turning and saying, God, the reason I'm turning back is because I can see you're good. I should never have gone away from you. And I can trust myself into your hands, my family into your hands. You see, the Bible promises there will be a day of judgment. There really will. It's not just a sort of story you tell children as a sort of scary thing to make them behave. It's a real thing in history, in the future. There will be that day. There will be heaven. There will be hell. God will judge everyone fairly, but he will judge everyone. And on that day, all of us who've sinned, which is all of us, will deserve to be condemned for that. But... Jesus Christ came into the world to save us. He died and he was condemned. He went through hell. It's what we're remembering with bread and wine. He did it in our place so that we can be clothed in his righteousness using that picture from the um, uh, song earlier so that we can be cleansed from our sins so that we can go and sin no more in our lives. We can be changed. We can leave our life of sin as we live our lives. Now, if that's new to you this morning, I'd love to talk more about it with you. Um, We've got these little booklets, I'll wave one later, called Knowing God Personally, just on the right-hand side as you go out of the uh, room in the corridor. Uh, Love you to have one of those, to to have something to kind of read and say, well, how do I respond? He's just a prayer away. So, if you don't know that forgiveness and that new start with God. We'd love you, before you go home today, to have that opportunity just to maybe say a prayer for yourself and make that start with God again. Because this is God's heart. This is his agenda. He sends his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And, and for those of us who know, for all of us who know, are we, are we getting involved in what God's doing in the world? That's, I think, the way I want to land it for those of us who are Christian already, who know that... Um, Wonderfully, we've been saved by Jesus. Um, are we part of this as we live our lives, as we plan the autumn term, or uh, uh, until, the, until the end of the year, and then we plan a, a year ahead? Are we, are we involved in what God's doing in the world? Two ways. First, Jesus looks you and I in the eye and says, go and sin no more. Leave your life of sin. Will you be part of that? See, there are lots of alternatives to God's way in the world, aren't they? Um, there's whatever occurs to me uh, in my own sinfulness and there's all sorts of attention-grabbing alternative things that come to us constantly through friends, media, 
smartphones, and you can just you can make pretty much anything the centre of your life now, um, other than God. And there's lots of things trying to grab your attention to be the centre of your life. And that's quite apart from the people who want to be the centre of your life. And you think, it's so easy, isn't it? Where we just sort of reshape things in our minds. So God is not at the centre anymore. He's somewhere, we we don't want God, he's in our lives, he's he's there in our lives, but he's not at the centre. It's not his will, his word, his ways that are guiding us. It's, they're sort of good advice. They lob in from time to time. Do you see? Jesus says, go, go and sin no more. Go and, go and leave that way of making up some of your own rules and taking on board some of God's rules and sort of doing a mishmash. Leave, leave that way. Trust that God will satisfy in a way that nothing else will in your life. And there's a fresh opportunity perhaps to turn away this morning for some of us from something we know is wrong, something we know is wrong for us, to go and sin no more. And actually as, as we experience God's grace, his goodness to us, that actually that will change our hearts. So we say, okay, I do need to repent of that sin. I do need to trust in God. So will you be part of that? And secondly, will you be part of it by passing on the news of what God has done in Jesus? We really want to get this news to others, don't we? That God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Is that not sort of worth telling other people about? What do we love about Jesus? That he's like that. That he's full of grace. So will we get involved as as we think about the autumn Um, On from there, what will help our neighbours, our family, our friends, our colleagues hear more, know more about Jesus? Is it something we can do in in the lunchtime at work? Is it um, an alpha in your living room? Is it something we can do here in church, together as a church family? Genuinely, will you pray about that? not preacher's rhetoric, but genuinely, will you pray about that? And be thinking, what can we do to get the news to people? Because the world needs Jesus to save it. You can't just continue in sin and hope that God will sort of just sort of turn a blind eye. He sent his son into the world to save the world, but many people don't believe that at the moment. So what can we do? Let's have a go at some things. And if you're free this afternoon and fancy coming and meeting uh, some of our neighbours, I'm going to go out and about again, which I've really enjoyed doing for the last couple of Sundays. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So let's be fully part of that, receiving it ourselves and passing it on to others.